So thank you for the invitation tonight. Um, I feel like Phil and Kathy are taking a little bit of a risk giving me the pulpit tonight. So <laughs> safe risk, hopefully. Uh, so tonight I'm just going to share um, the last 12 months of a spiritual journey that I've personally been on, uh, but also uh, our family as well. And uh, just to give you some insight into... Am I okay? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, love it. Um, just to give you some insight into the way that God can work with ordinary people. And that's what he's been doing. So a year ago, I found myself in a place of um, burnout, really, exhaustion. I've been uh, working at Cape and Ray Bible School. Man, you guys are hard on the staff out there. <laughs> Seriously, I had four children, a Japanese student, um, almost working full time. And uh, when you work at Cape and Ray, it's kind of more of a lifestyle than a job. And uh, I just got to a place where I was pretty much um, burnt out, done, spiritually dry, and felt the responsibility of being in a spiritual role of pouring out and just having nothing left. And um, I came to a decision, it took about a year, uh, where I um, felt that I needed to resign um, from my role. So a word of encouragement for you guys who maybe are leaving in a few weeks. There is life after Cape and Ray. I know that you might not believe it right now, but there seriously is life after Cape and Ray. And uh, so I intentionally began seeking the Lord for, for the next step, for what, it, for what it was that God was saying to me personally and for what that may look like in my life and in the life of my family. And often it's not what, what we think. Uh, so I began a habit of walking my block every day, most days, and I would be listening to David Jeremiah's teaching and uh, walking my block and just taking time, listening to the teaching of the word and uh, coming into God's presence. It was often a prayer time, a response time. Uh, there, was, there was a lot that God was teaching me and revealing to me as I did this. And uh, one day, there was a message entitled... Uh, life outside the amusement park. And David Jeremiah was introducing the Beatitudes, and it was his introduction uh, message. And he shared a parable, and the parable was written by a woman named Gloria, who describes how she feels in life, as if she's on a roller coaster. And she's going up and down, and round and round, and she's finding it really difficult to get off the roller coaster. And... Um, when she finally does manage to get off the roller coaster, she finds herself still in the amusement park. And the rides call to her. The merry-go-round. Come and have a ride on me. The Ferris wheel. And then back on the roller coaster again. And from time to time, Gloria from the top of the <laughs> Ferris wheel or the roller coaster would look beyond the amusement park and she would see that there were people living outside the fences. And they seemed to be happy. And they seemed to be fulfilled. And they seemed to be walking in faith. And their lives seemed to have meaning. And they seemed to be making progress. And they appear to be free. And Gloria says, and part of me, 
wants to live outside these amusement park fences. But there's a risk involved. Stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of the familiar, stepping out of what I know and into the unknown. And Gloria says, I I want to do it, but I just don't know if I can. This was the only part of the message that stuck with me, the introduction. Sorry to you preachers out there. But I prayed this prayer as a prayer of response to this message because it really, it really struck me. I prayed this and I wrote it in my journal. Lord, I want to live a life outside the amusement park. I want to live by faith. I want to live with eternal purpose. I want to fully trust you and I do not want to be drawn in or distracted by the amusement park ever again. I want this, Lord. May it be done. The following day, my brother Jeffrey phoned me from Cambodia. And Jeffrey has been in Cambodia for five years. He's a missionary there. He is married to Julie. They've been married for two years. They met over there. And she has been there for seven years. And Jeff and Julie are serving in Phnom Penh, and they've been talking to us for several years about coming to serve with them. And there's just there's so there's so much to do, and they've just been really encouraging us to step out in faith. And um, we have we have definitely sensed a stirring, but then it would die off as the distractions of the amusement park would come on in. And um, so we never progressed in that area. But this particular day, Jeffrey phones me. And he says, you're not going to believe what God is doing. God has just given us a property on the Kampot River. The owners have approached us and asked if our ministry would take over this property. It's about two and a half hours south of Phnom Penh. And uh, it's a spiritual retreat, a Christian retreat. It's a place for missionaries and church leaders to just retreat, take some time of refreshment and rest and be ministered to and loved on and fed and watered and cared for. And as Jeffrey begins to tell me about this property, uh, my heart begins to pound. You know, that Holy Spirit... It's more than a nudge. And um, I didn't hear a lot of what Jeffrey said to me in that conversation. It's like the Holy Spirit was saying, you want to walk by faith? You want to step out of the amusement park? You want to walk in obedience? Here it is. You want to go to Cambodia? Not really. So Jeffrey finished talking and he wrapped it up by saying, you know that you and Wayne would be awesome managing this property, don't you? And my heart is going, yes, but I'm so afraid. Crying, I'll call you back. 
went inside and I shared with Wayne, I'd been talking to Jeffrey in the car, and he was pretty emotional because Cambodia's been on his heart for a long time. And um, the kids were saying, what's happened? As we're both. <laughs> Could this be God's calling? Could this be his invitation to us? Could it be our moment to step out of the amusement park? Away from the comforts of home, away from friends and family and into a new culture and a new language and a new ministry? Lord, would you help us? Would you give us faith and would you give us willing hearts? It was Tuesday. Prayed on Monday. That was Tuesday. Wednesday. I woke up, Wayne had gone to work, and I am completely gripped with fear, and I have, I'm not fear-based, like I just don't really generally feel fear, and I am, I am feeling fear. I'm so scared. I don't want to move. I don't want to get up. Did that really happen yesterday? Is this for real, God? Would you really seriously speak to us about this? Would you really do this? So I got out of bed. I went in to wake Jordan. And um, the song that was playing on his playlist as I went into the room was, I'm no longer a slave to fear, because I am a child of God. I said to the Lord, okay, I'm afraid, I am completely freaking out here, but I have you with me, and I do not have to succumb to this fear. So Lord, would you lead me? Would you lead us? And would you help us step out in faith into everything that you have for us? Thursday, my brother calls again. He wants to know what we're thinking. He only rang me on Tuesday. He said to me, I believe that the next step is for you guys to come to Cambodia in February. And he gave me specific dates. He said, because in those dates, I'm taking 40 young people to the retreat and we're having a conference and it would be awesome if you would come with us because then you're going to catch the vision for our ministry, you're going to see what God's doing and you're going to get to come to the retreat centre, meet the current owners, catch a vision for that and we're going to package it up and it's going to be all good. These are the dates. And I'm thinking, this doesn't work, this is February. This is, Wayne has three weeks off in January, we can't possibly ask for two more weeks off. I'm thinking Cameron's leaving home and he's starting out into the real world. And I'm thinking Jordan's starting a new school and the other kids are starting school and we're, how could this, and I had a Japanese student, Anami, you were arriving as well, yeah? There's too much happening. How could we possibly take two weeks out of February to go to Cambodia? It's just not possible. Sunday night. So it's less than a week, six days since I pray this prayer, right? Sunday night, we'd been attending the teaching night school here, destined to win that Phil and the team were running here. And on the Sunday evening of the second night, there was an opportunity to remain in the auditorium for prayer and prophecy. Those of you who are here will remember that. And um, other participants could go and have dinner. Um, but if you wanted to wait and remain, um, someone would pray with you. And Wayne and I went and had dinner. And then we both felt that we needed to come back for someone to pray for us. And Phil prayed for us. And I'm going to read you what I have remembered of what Phil said. Phil said, this is a significant season for you both. I see a picture of a right hand and a left hand. 
two very different hands, which I believe represents you, Wayne, and you, Vanessa. You complement one another. And God is bringing those two hands together to work on the same project. I'm crying at this point. And the project is for kingdom purposes. You have the same heartbeat for it. Not sure if that's come true yet. <laughs> Wayne, I believe that during this season you're going to have time with your children and an opportunity to get to know them in a way that you don't know them now. And there's, there were some other things there that were significant. But that was fundamentally the prayer that Phil prayed. And he said, I'm not sure if I've got anything to do with this. I don't think I've got anything to do with this. And, and there's no revelation of what this is. Amen. He said, do you guys know what it is? And we said, well, we might. <laughs> and we went home that night and we were sure that we were to at least go to Cambodia in February and have a look at the retreat centre. And Wayne went to work the next day, Monday, a week after I had prayed, and he approaches his boss and he asks for two more weeks. He's had th got three weeks off, he's coming back to work for a week, and he applies for two weeks' leave. And of course, because we have a supernatural, miracle-working God, the leave is approved, bumpfa. And Wayne rings me and he says, we're going to Cambodia. And my heart is in turmoil. So I re-listened to David Jeremiah's message introducing his series on the Beatitudes. And somehow in my first listening of this, I missed his conclusion. So he concludes his message by talking about Jesus in the upper room. He's in the upper room with his disciples. And you'll find the discourse in Scripture in John 13 right through to John 17. And it's beautiful. This is right before the cross. And he's in the upper room with his disciples. That's where he washes the disciples' feet. That's where he comforts them. He promises the Holy Spirit. He explains that he is the vine and that they are the branches and that they are to remain in him. He gives them hope. He prays for them and he prays for himself. You know, Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas. He's about to be denied by Peter. He's about to be deserted by his closest friends. He's about to be falsely accused. He's about to be humiliated, mocked, whipped, murdered, and forsaken by his heavenly father. And it's in this place that Jesus says in John 15, and if you have a Bible, you should look it up. John 15, and it's verse 9 through to verse 11. John 15, 9 to 11. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father's poured out his love on his Son... Jesus has poured out his love on his disciples. Remain in my love. So how do we do that? Jesus says to the disciples like, okay, how do we do it? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, 
just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full or complete. And we see that right before the cross, right before all that is about to happen, Jesus expresses that he is full of joy and that he has joy to impart to his disciples in this moment and at this time. John 4.34 says this, My food, again, Jesus speaking, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the New Living Translation says, My nourishment, it's my nourishment to do the will of my Heavenly Father. There's a sense of deep satisfaction, deep contentment, deep joy, walking in the Father's will, even though it meant that he was walking to the cross. So I listened to this conclusion, and I'm like, Lord, would you help me with this? So in February, we got on a plane, and we spent 10 days with my brother and his wife, firstly in Phnom Penh, and then in Kampot at the retreat center, and we had a spiritually rich time there. And I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign country with other believers who are worshiping the same God that we worship, same spirit, beautiful. It's beautiful. And so we had an amazing time with these young people. And we met the owners of the sanctuary, it's called the sanctuary, and they were excited to meet us and share their vision. And we got on a plane to come home, and Wayne just clearly knew, this is, this is, this is it. This is our call, right? It's a no-brainer is what he told me. That we would go back and that we would manage the sanctuary on behalf of Partnership Cambodia. I think deep down I knew that also, but the journey to surrender and to die to myself, die to my flesh and my fears and my aspirations and my dreams, and all of that has taken a whole lot longer. And so we came to a compromise. This is how we made a decision. We came to a compromise that we would practically begin moving toward Cambodia, So passports for the kids, maintenance on our home, doing the things like that that need to be done. Clearing out, there's quite a lot of clearing out to be done. And we agreed that I would continue to seek the Lord because I knew that I couldn't make a move unless I was completely, um, completely, had completely heard from God personally for myself. So part of that was a Bible study that I've been doing with a group of TA girls, and we began this study uh, when I got back in February. Experiencing God is what the study's called. You should do it if you want to do something radical and experience God. And um, knowing and doing the will, will of God is the study. And So week one, these were the summarizing statements. God reveals what he is about to do. We'd had a pretty clear revelation. That revelation, point two, becomes an invitation for you to join him. Okay. Point three, I can't stay where I am and go with God. I can't do both. 
So what's it going to be? And God is able, point four, to do anything he pleases with one ordinary person who is fully consecrated to him. Do whatever he pleases. So if I'm going to be consecrated, what does that mean? So throughout my journal, I did this whole study on consecration. This is my summary. Consecration is being set apart from the world and to him. It's the act of me dedicating myself, a solemn commitment of my life to his purposes, his ways, his truth to his will, to him and to him alone. It means that I submit my will to him. It means that I partner with him as I plan for the present as well as for the future. I partner with him. When Wayne and I have been married for four years, we wrote a five-year plan. We're going to have our mortgage paid off in so many years. We're going to start our family. We're going to do this and that. I wish I'd kept the list because God was not consulted at any point in our five-year plan. Four weeks later, we were involved in a head-on collision and everything about our five-year plan went out the door. Wayne didn't work for two years, a lot of health issues, long recovery, and having children, my goodness. We don't have control of our lives. I think we do. We like to think we do. We like to think we can make our plans, but not once in that planning did we consult with God and partner with God in any of it. It means, consecration means that I will allow him to change any of my character flaws that are not consistent with his. It means I'll let him fine-tune my personality and character qualities that he's given me, those things that make me the unique person that I am. It means that I must be willing to put sin out of my life. Selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, lust, pride, rebellion. It means I deal with my stuff. I separate myself from anything that will contaminate my relationship with the living God. That is what consecration means. That was my summary. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It means we've got to get on the altar. Sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God, and it's this that's our spiritual act of worship. The scripture says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and his presence and his word and prayer with his people and his house. Allow him to transform your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. That is how you know. But there's a work of transformation that has to happen in us. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, 
but be transformed and then you can test and approve his will. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's all of us. No longer live for ourselves, but we should live for him who died for us and rose again. That's Christianity. That's what this is, a surrendered life, a submitted life. A life that is dedicated to the glory of God. This is an excerpt from my journal, the 13th of March. Ah, so there seems to be an overriding theme for me this year. Death to myself. I must be slain. I and my flesh must die. So the resurrected Christ can live and have his way in me. Galatians summarizes it in this way, 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's, it's him that lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith, and that was my prayer. God, I want to live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. John 12, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, John 12, 23 to 25, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single siege. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We could have a conversation around that. But this is a picture of Christ. The death of Jesus means salvation can be offered to all. He brings many sons to glory, right? Because of his death and his resurrection. And so I'm to become like him. He is my example. So over the past months, I've had many encounters with the Lord. One morning, I confessed all my fears to him, wrote them all down in my journal, and I prayed them out to him in confession and um, he reassured me with the lyrics of worship songs that were playing in the background, the first song we sang tonight, Because You're With Me, I Will Not Fear. That was the song and I didn't make that connection this morning. Circumstances just kept on lining up like like God is making this happen. Hmm. The money was donated for the purchase of the sanctuary in April, but still I struggled needing a personal word from God. One friend shared how she had struggled when God called her and her family to the mission field, and one day she just went to her room and she said, Okay, God, I surrender. And I kept saying to God, I don't think it's that I'm not surrendered. I don't know. I just think you haven't told me. Then Cameron said to me, Mum, remember the last time you surrendered? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Well, you may notice that we have a big gap in our family. We have Cameron, who's 18, and we had seven years till we had Jordan. And I had a journey, we had a journey of secondary infertility. And man, 
I was not going to say to God, not my will but yours. Because I wanted more children. And so I begged and I pleaded and I cried. And when I think about it now, the time that I spent in those seven years wrestling with God, and then finally... I called our home group round and I said, take all of Cameron's baby toys, take all the stuff, I don't need them. And there was this process of purging of our home and cleansing of my heart and surrender and saying, Lord, I don't get it, but I trust you. Not my will, but yours. Oh, and then three more little people came along. Hey guys, seriously, remember what happened when you surrendered. Why do we think that surrender is a bad thing? Why do we think that God's going to do a doozy on us? You know, why do we think that? We need to trust the nature of God. Charles Stanley says, obey God. Leave the consequences to him. You don't have to worry about the consequences. You walk in obedience, he'll take care of it. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experience in God, says, if I have an obedience problem, I have a love problem. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's so straightforward and simple and yet so challenging. Three main points that came out of our studies reassured me. God is love. And his will is always best. He loves you. He loves me. His will for my life and your life is always what is best. God is all-knowing. His directions are always right. He sees the beginning to the end. This is his story. He's written the book. This isn't my story. I get a minor role. But this is his story. And he sees it all and he knows what's best for us. And God is all powerful. So he can enable me in my weakness to do whatever it is he's saying to me. He can enable me. Do you believe that? But still no personal word from God. So I came to see Phil um, in frustration with my lack of progress. And he asked me what the blockages were that were stopping me from walking through this big wide open door. And I told him that I'd confessed my fears and he asked me if I'd laid them on the altar. Hmm. He suggested that I may need to lay other things on the altar also. Good things. Like ministry. Ministry like my service, maybe like my small group or whatever that I'm holding dear to my heart. Ministry aspirations, what I have my heart set on, good stuff, you know. Maybe I need to lay that on the altar. So I came home from talking with Phil and I put my worship music on and I went to prayer verbally uh, with all my fears just laying them before God, verbally speaking over them all and handing them over, laying this on the altar, God. I give this to you, God. 
And it comes down to things like aging parents who we would leave behind. Cameron, who we would leave behind. It's real stuff. Comes down to health and well-being. Comes down to education. Comes down to friendships for our kids. But I prayed and I gave it to God. And I prayed through the ministry aspirations that are in my heart as well and gave that to God. And five days later, a response came in the form of scripture for me. And the response was Psalm 115, verses 13 and 14. And this is what the scripture says. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. And I felt like that, the small, you know when the Lord just illuminates the scripture to you and it just jumped off the page, the small ones, my young people, my children, the Lord's going to bless them. Both the small ones and the great ones. If we walk in fear of the Lord. The Lord shall increase you more and more, both you and your children. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, no matter how much you lay on the altar, no matter how much you feel like you're giving up, no matter how much you are sensing loss, I will increase you. You and your children. That same day I was studying prayer from the Experience in God study. And there were some simple truths that we were learning about praying in the Spirit from Romans and the Spirit helping us in our weakness and interceding for us. And I really felt in a place of weakness. One statement stood out to me from the study. It said, you must decide, however, that you want only his will. As you approach him in prayer, you need to decide that you only want his will. You must dismiss any selfish or fleshly desires of your own and all honesty with yourself and before God come to a place where you are certain your only desire is to know God's will and how often we come in prayer with our checklist and we're praying for this and this and this. But we're not really seeking his will in the situation. What does he want to speak into the circumstance? What is it that he wants to say? And at the end of the study, it says, uh, what does God want you to do in response to this study? And I knew that I was to enter into prayer. And so I began to pray, completely seeking the will of God wholeheartedly, seeking his will for this. And God clearly spoke three things to me. Um, and I know it was God because this is not, this is not what I would say to myself. Um, and it was so clear and it was so direct and it was so concise 
that I knew it was God. These were the three things that he said succinctly. Cambodia is the answer to the prayer you prayed in November. You prayed that prayer according to my will. Now you are to walk in it. Boom. Just a reminder of the prayer I prayed. Lord, I want to live outside of the amusement park. I want to live by faith. I want to live with eternal purpose. I want to fully trust you and I do not want to be drawn in or distracted by the amusement park ever again. I want this, Lord. May it be done. Reggie McNeil, in his book, A Work of Heart, he says this, Only God knows how many people turn away from the burning bush. Having decided their own destiny, they close themselves off from the call of God on their lives and how easy it is for us to do that. Or maybe the preoccupation with themselves prevents them from being open to a mission that's larger than their own definition of possibilities. So I don't want to turn away from the burning bush. I don't want to decide my own destiny. I don't want to do that. I kind of do, but I don't, you know. I don't want to close myself off from the call of God by making a decision against what it is he's clearly speaking. Around about the same time, Lisa Buckley posted the new wine song on the church Facebook page. And the words just resonated with me. It's in the crushing, it's in the pressing that you are making new wine. And for months I just felt the crushing and the pressing as I was challenged (coughs) to do what God was speaking. In the soil, I now surrender because you are breaking new ground. Do you want new ground to be broken in your life? So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Do we believe this? How often we want to understand it. But when I trust you, I don't have to. I just walk in faith. So Lord, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be because I am the clay And you are the potter, and I am the clay in the potter's hand. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all that you've given me. So Jesus, bring new wine out of me. And the final words are, I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. What is it that you need to lay down? What is it that God's calling you to lay down to pick up the new fire that he's inviting you to carry? So Wayne arrived home. He was used to arriving home to bloodshot eyes and my Bible and my notebook and what's God saying. And I said to him, well, God's clearly spoken to me. He's clearly spoken to me today. I think my very patient husband waiting for me to get on board and align myself with what God was speaking and saying to us. There was nothing else left but for us to move forward in faith. 
that's all we were waiting for was a word. So what am I going to do now? Because I've got the word. So that day, we went online and we booked our flights one way to Cambodia, uh, leaving in March, and excited for what God wants to do in and through and with our family. I want to come back to these four statements. God reveals what he is about to do. I wonder what he's revealed to you in your life. I wonder what the revelation is to you tonight. Because the revelation becomes an invitation for you to join him. So what's the invitation that he's speaking over your life tonight? What is he inviting you into? Because you can't stay where you are and go with God. It just doesn't work that way. But know that he's able to do anything that he pleases with one ordinary life. He can do whatever he pleases if your life is consecrated, set apart to him. So we're going to close tonight by singing the new wine song. I'm going to sing it as a prayer to the Lord. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of dedication. And as we sing it, pray it, I want you to consider these questions. What is God's invitation to me? Maybe you have never ever given your life to Jesus and his invitation to you is that you would come into a relationship with him maybe you've been in church a lot but you've never taken that step you've never acknowledged your son you've never acknowledged your saviour and you've never invited him to take that place of Lord in your life Or maybe you've been on the journey for years, but you know know that you're dry and empty like I was a year ago. And you know that you've lost the walk. You've lost that desire to be in His Word, that desire to be in His presence, that desire to get up and spend time with Him. You've lost that, and he's inviting you tonight to renew that relationship, refresh that relationship. He's inviting you to walk closely with him. Maybe he's asking you to deal with sin in your life and speaking to you about consecration. Or maybe he's inviting you on an adventure, an adventure that you feel not quite ready for, an adventure that you didn't quite expect, an adventure that isn't really quite what you were hoping, but an adventure nonetheless 
with God as the author of the story. Because this is not my story, not really, and this is not your story, not really, but this is his big story. From before time into eternity, eternity past, eternity future, this is all about him. And it's all about what he wants to do with ordinary people who set themselves apart for him. So as we sing, make this a prayer. May this be a prayer from your heart. And if you want to make a stand and come forward to say, whatever it is, I'm responding to the invitation, God, that you are speaking to me about in my spirit. I am responding and I'm coming forward to say yes, Lord. as we come to this prayer we're about to sing Lord Lord would your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts Lord would you whisper your truth Lord would you speak clearly your invitation over our lives And Lord, would we rise up in courage and boldness? Would we rise up in faith to say, yes, Lord, I want you to write the story. And I surrender, Lord, and I say, not my will, but yours be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.